A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, my wife and I uh, were visiting her folks in Florida. They live in outside of Tampa, and uh, we were in it was Tampa, St. Petersburg area. And we decided to uh, go into Clearwater for dinner, and we had some friends that lived there, and we we're going to visit them. But we got there at the end of the day, and uh, it was just as uh, dusk was approaching, and um, we went out and we took a, lo- a walk along the coast. And if you've ever been on the Gulf side, you know that there's not really any waves or anything, so the water was kind of gently lapping up against the sand, and we were walking down the beach, and the sun was, was setting like a big orange ball out over the horizon. And uh, all the sun worshippers, sunbathers had gone home because there was no sun. It was a little bit too dark for fishermen. It was kind of in that in-between stage where no one was around, a couple of joggers. And uh, we were walking down the beach. And as we were walking down the beach, uh, we saw this figure coming toward us, kind of slumped over. We really couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. We really couldn't see from that, from, from that uh, distance. But as the figure got closer, we realized that it was an older man. And he had on a windbreaker and he had one of those hats that was kind of pulled down over his face. And as he got closer, we saw that in his, in his bony right hand, he was walking toward us and he had a bucket. And uh, right as he got next to us, we saw there was a bucket of shrimp. And he smiled and we smiled at him and he kept going. And we were curious what he was going to do. We didn't know what he was going to do with this bucket of shrimp. We didn't know if it was for him or if it was for whatever. And he walked out to this pier. It was an isolated pier. No one was around. No one was on it. And he walked down toward the end of the pier and he kind of stood there for a couple of minutes. So we were fascinated as to what was going on. So we stood there and we watched him for a while. And uh, within a few minutes, we saw all these seagulls come, just like, like white dots, just dancing in the air. And he started to just throw out the shrimp onto the, onto the pier for these seagulls. And it went on for about a half an hour. We later found out that he did this every Friday night. It was a, a once-a-week experience for him to do that. And he went out, and he threw the shrimp out, and the, the seagulls were bouncing around, and they were just having a great time together. And for about a half an hour, this was going on. And at the end of it, when the bucket was empty and the shrimp were all gone, the seagulls were kind of landing on his shoulder. They were perched on top of his hat. And they just spent this time together. And it was one of the strangest things I'd ever seen. And I want you to kind of keep that picture in your mind for a moment, like put it on a back burner. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit later. It's important for what we're going to discuss, what was going on there. But uh, I thought it was fascinating as it, as it applies to some of the things that we're going to talk about. The last time that we were together, we, we started to talk about the problem and the pressure that goes along, if for lack of a better term, we use it's uh, called peer pressure. And we started to uh, try to consider how we would stand firm, and not only just standing firm, but actually how we would stand firm when we're outnumbered. Let me ask you a question, and uh, it worked pretty well last week, I think we'll try it again, but how would you define... Peer pressure. How would you define peer pressure? What is it? We talk about it all the time. It's an amazing thing how we talk about it, and yet when you're asked to define it. Conformity to the norm. And then it's a matter of defining what? Yeah, what's the norm? And uh, so it's conforming to a norm, but now we have to define what the norm is. Somebody else said something. Fear. Fear of what? Fear of rejection. Fear of not being accepted. Accepted by whom? Your peers. Peer pressure. Very good. That's pretty good. Tied right back to that. That's pretty sharp. I like that. It's the, the pressure of your peers. That's how I used to define things in school. It never worked, though, for me. And it's not going to work for you either, by the way. Just thought I'd let you know. 
But uh, the, uh, the fear of rejection, the fear of rejection by your peers, the fear of rejection, I think what Lou was saying was the fear of being rejected by the group and the group establishes the norm for that particular group or that identity. So it's a matter of not being accepted or feeling the pressure to do things to be accepted by the group because that's what the group does. And I don't care how old you are, you struggle with it. Our kids struggle with it. Our grandkids will struggle with it. We struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. We want to be accepted by the group. And so that's why I thought it would be appropriate to, to talk about how do you stand firm when you're outnumbered. Because it's obvious that the group outnumbers us, whatever group that is. How do you stand firm in the midst of all of that? And we saw a passage last week that has a lot to do with it, and that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. In an analysis of conformity, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test what the will, God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying, if you wanted to put it in your own words, and sometimes it helps when we go through Scripture to try to come up with ways that it makes sense to you. You know, how does this make sense to you? Somebody, somebody tell me in their own words what he's saying. Okay, to change your focus from what to what? Okay, change your focus from the pattern of what's going on all around you and what people may be caught up into and what the, pre- the, the prevalent feeling of the crowd is and change your, your focus from trying to identify with that to what? To what God's will is, to what God's standards are. Basically, it's this. I don't care what the group is saying. I need to turn and see what God has to say. If the group says this and God says that, I can't be conformed to what the group is saying. I've got to run with God. You see how it works? Don't be conformed. Don't get sucked into the mentality of the group, the group think. Don't get, don't get caught up into that. But let's separate what the group says from what God says. Because I'll guarantee you this. There is a way that seems right to this world that its end is destruction. And we're going to talk about what was being talked about all week long, and you can't avoid it, and it needs to be discussed. The world looks at things different than God. There's a way that seems right, and that's why God said to Isaiah, My ways aren't your ways, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how different my thoughts are from yours. And so what the Apostle Paul is encouraging all of his people, and this isn't for the world, because the world, stand, the world this doesn't make any sense, and I'll illustrate in a minute. What God says to the world doesn't make any sense. But what God says to his people should make all the sense in the world. So we need to get into that. Now the next question is, if the world is thinking of things in one way and God wants us to think things in his way, then the next obvious question has to be this. What makes this world tick? What turns people on in this world? What gets people excited? You want to get somebody excited and you want to get them into a conversation, what are the conversations usually have to do with themselves yeah very much of the time that's pretty much what gets people excited <clears throat> people are excited about talking about themselves and I don't know why because if they knew them like we knew them I wouldn't say anything if I was them <laughs> right I mean that's why I look at it and say man the less I say about myself the better off I'm going to be in the long run 
You might want to jot that one down for yourself. <clears throat> amen. Amen. How many, there's more amens coming on that one. There's more amens. We're hearing a lot more amens on that. But what are some of the objectives of the world system that we live in? What turns people on? Money. Money. Oh, oh, oh. Did you see my notes? Money. That's pretty good. You get to leave early if you want. But money. Man, you want to get people excited and you want to go along with what... I mean, love doesn't make this world go around. Cash does. I'm convinced of that. Cash makes this world go around. And, and, if, and if you doubt it, then all you need to do is talk to people. What do people get most... What do people get so excited about? Money, man. People get so excited about money. People get excited about... What do they get excited about? Having it. And it's like, why does that excite you? I was doing some work for Bank of America. This will, this will maybe help illustrate. I'm doing some work for Bank of America. We're doing some, there was some remodeling going on. And I walked past this room, and it's the, it's the counting room. All right? What do you think goes on there? They had to count money. That's what they do. And, uh, and I was thinking, man, isn't that kind of tempting to count money? And this old gal said the best thing I ever heard in a long time. She said, as long as I don't think of that it's money, it's not a problem. So, I count paper all day long. <laughs> Isn't that good? Hey, as long as you keep it in focus, hey, it's paper, it's all it is. But man, I start thinking it's money, woo I got all kind of problems. But what gets people excited? Money. Making money. And women? Spending money. This is good. This is very good. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Gee, I'm so sorry. But I'm just trying to get you involved this morning. And I didn't think it would be hard to get you involved in spending money. But, right, making it, spending it. We've got a little bantering going on here. We want to share it with everybody. In, in, in frivolous things that have no eternal consequences, right, Wheeler? Oh, yeah, you know, and those are shotguns, water skis, uh, speed boats, you know, things like that are really important, Wheeler. You spend it on what, like clothes? <laughs> you know, how silly. <clears throat> Food, clothes, how silly. That is so silly, I can't believe it. But what gets people excited? Money gets people excited. Buying things get people excited. Having things get people excited. Man, this world is so excited about money, so now all of a sudden we stop and think about it for a second. We're outnumbered by a world that's turned on by money. That'll do anything to have money. That'll do anything to have more money. That'll do anything to have more money so they can have more things, so they can buy more stuff, so they can have more stuff than everybody else that's around them, so that they have more than you do. That's what this world gets excited about. Now, let me get a little practical. Do not be conformed to this world that gets excited about money. You know what love of money will do? First Timothy 6 says, Because of the love of money that many people will fall away from the faith. They'll get caught up in it because it's a snare, it's a trap, it's a strategy of the devil to make you, sidetrack you from doing what God intends for His people to do while we're here this very short time that He gives us here on earth. Money will do that to you. I have seen over the last several years, because of the nature of our economic system, I have seen people who will lay aside all of their morals, their standards, 
and their ethics all in the name of money. I was at a bankruptcy proceeding a couple years ago. It was a fascinating experience. I was a creditor, so people owed me money. That's why I was there. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and the docket was filled constantly, full of people filing bankruptcy. It was unbelievable. And this young couple, I think, epitomizes the whole system. They came, they walked up to the front, they entered their motion, whatever they do, whatever it is, I don't know the legal jargon, but they, they did what they had to do. They were granted the bankruptcy. They were walking out, and before they got to the back, and I was sitting in the last row, um, and before they got to the back of the courtroom, the gal looked at her husband and said this, man, that was pretty easy, wasn't it? And I thought, you know what? That's exactly the truth. That was pretty easy. See, the world's way is easy. Always is, always will be. World's way is always easy. God's way is not. But God demands that His people have a renewed mind in those areas. He says this, wait a minute. If you owe somebody something, then you pay your debts. He said, the wicked borrow and do not repay. If you owe, you pay. Even though you can't even figure how you're going to pay it, you have an obligation to make it right. And why don't people pay? Because they want to hold on to what they got. And they can justify it, rationalize it in every possible way. It's unbelievable how men and women of God with principles and morals and ethics and standards, when those standards are put to the test, can easily throw them all out the window and, and absolutely compromise and justify and rationalize everything that they're going through. It was a bad deal. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. It was always somebody else's fault. It's never our own fault. We never make bad decisions. Everybody leads us into bad decisions. Well, if we would have had a renewed mind to begin with and weren't conformed to the world, maybe we wouldn't have made those decisions after all. Maybe we wouldn't have been led that direction to do what we did that ended up causing the problems that we have. But the point that I want to make is a very simple one. If you owe somebody money, I don't care how bad this thing gets because it ain't getting much better. And I don't care what you hear on TV and I don't care what you read, that the recession's over and all this kind of stuff. I guess it's only over if you don't feel it, but I know a lot of people are depressed and not recessed. You know what I mean? And so the point that I'm trying to get across is the world is driven by money and it, we conform to that system when we try to avoid our financial obligations. You owe, you pay. And you seek God's wisdom on how you're going to do it because some of us are in pretty deep. And that isn't to say I'm callous or insensitive to what people are going through, but I think we just need to be a little more clear on what God demands of his people, and it's a whole lot different than what this world is tuned into. What a system we have. Well, I screwed up. Okay, I'll file bankruptcy. Oh, well, wasn't that easy, honey? Wasn't as bad as I thought. Boy, they learned a lesson, didn't they? I did. I learned a lesson about God's standards versus the world's standards, and they're really different. Poles apart. Poles apart. Second thing, as it pertains to money, second illustration. I was talking to a friend who was building an apartment building. It's fascinating. And he said, I want you to look over the numbers and let me know what you think. You think I missed anything? And we went down through. We looked at all the costs for the development. We looked at the building. We looked at loan costs. We looked at everything. We looked at market conditions. We, we looked at the whole thing. And all the numbers look great. Everything looked fine. There was no question about any of that. And I asked him this one question. The guy knows the Lord. And I said, let me ask you something. Why do you want to do this? He said, what do you mean why do I want to do it? You just looked at the numbers. Look at the bottom line. 
I could walk away with a couple hundred thousand dollars if this thing goes right. Okay? The world says, end of conversation. That's it. Isn't that all that matters? As long as it pencils out. The next question I asked him was, but what are you going to do with the 200000 if you get it? And he looked at me like it was the weirdest question anyone's ever asked him. And you know what he said? I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that. You hadn't thought about that? So the goal was just to have $200,000. The goal wasn't anything beyond that. So the goal was what the world says the goal is. And that is, hey, fill your bank account. Buy whatever you want. Get some more stuff. Make some more money. But what God says is, wait a minute. If you get that, then what are you going to do with it? Take it to the next step. See, don't be conformed in this money-crazed world of ours. Don't be conformed to love money like the world does, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Knowing that you have a financial responsibility to God who blesses us and knowing that you don't have anything that God hasn't given you. And if God's given it to you, I think you ought to ask Him what He wants you to do with what is His. That's pretty simple. Don't be conformed to this money-crazed world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Search the Word of God for what God has to say. I don't care what people are saying because people are really messed up. We're going to talk more about that in a second. What else turns this world on? Power. Oh, number three. Okay, we'll go to that. We'll come back to it. Power. Power is what? Control. Control over what? People. Money. People. Individuals. Corporations. Churches. Power over people. Power to influence people. Power to get people to do what we want them to do for our benefit. Power. The world is crazy about power. That's why you see people in offices stabbing each other in the back. Trying to get the promotion. Why? Because if they get the promotion, they'll get the raise. So money and power, fame and fortune, all those things go together. So if they can get the promotion, and even if they have to stab you in the back to do it, and the world we operate says, hey, you know what? If you want to get to the top, you're going to have to climb over a lot of dead bodies of associates that you've had to stab in the back. It's an interesting system. And the, and the reality of all that is, what are you going to do with the power once you have it? Well, I know what I'll do. I'll make people do what I want them to do. That's the end result of the world's power system. Jesus said this. Wait a minute. You know what? In, in fact, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, Hey, you know what? Don't lord it over those who are allotted to your charge. Don't rule with an iron fist or you know, putting people under the thumb because now you have a position of influence or power. But use that influence and power for the glory of God. Jesus said, you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you be servant of all. The world says, you want to be great in this world, then you need to put people under your thumb and you need to just be able to jerk them around and tell them what to do when you want them to do it. God's, God's program's different. Don't be conformed in a power-hungry world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you know what that means? That means I don't care what position that you have in life that God's given you. You use that to serve others. To serve others. And God will take care of you as far as this world is concerned. Let's go back to fame. What's fame? Another word for fame. Anybody? What? Notoriety. Notoriety. 
Everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be popular. That's the thing that we all wrestle with. That's the thing my kids wrestle with. They want to be popular. They want to be accepted. They want people to know who they are. Popularity is, I want to be invited to everything so I have the option of rejecting as many of those invitations as I want. Right? Isn't that true? I want to at least be invited even though I don't want to go. It really bugs me if I'm not invited. Like, why was I left out? Well, thank you for inviting me, but I'm not going to go. But I guess if you turn enough of those invitations, they stop inviting you. But you just want to have that option. And that's what, that's what fame is all about. Being known, you know, fame. I, everybody wants to be known by somebody or something. And as a result, we begin to do things so that we could be more popular. I deal with guys all the time. It's so funny to me to see guys that are 6'8", 6'5", 285, 320, you know. These guys are huge. I mean, they're, they're huge. And I see them do some of the dumbest things so that little people like me will like them. It's, a, it's just a really funny thing. You know, I don't know if you ever stop and think about it. Some of us, it's amazing. We've got all this, we've, we've got this prestige, the position, the power, the influence, and yet we'll do things. Conformity, what Paul said is this, an outward expression of that which is not true inside of us. It's when you walk away from that group and say, that's not who I am, that's not who I represent, why in the world did I just do that? See, if you know Christ, the living Christ lives within you and he wants to express himself through you. So when you walk away from a group and say, man, that's not who I am, what you're saying is that you did not allow God to live his life through you in that situation and you compromised and you set it aside and you said, I want to be accepted by this group because this group is more important than being accepted by God. Now, if you want to teach your kids something and you want to learn something yourself, realize this. I'm telling guys, hey, don't worry about it pleasing your coach he may not be here next year and i'm not a prophet i'm just a realist who says that there's 19 civilizations in this world that have that don't exist anymore and there are a lot of sports dynasties that don't exist anymore and let's just be a pra pragmatic for a second the person that you're living the police today i don't care if it's your boss or a coach or your teacher or your friends the reality of it is they're not going to be in your life very long so why are you selling out today even though they're not going to have any long-term consequences on your life Jesus said this, don't fear man, but fear God. You want to fear someone, fear God. Don't fear being rejected by the group because the group's the one that cried, crucify him. Isn't that the truth? I tell my daughter this, Dana, you know what? You know how many high school friends I still hang around with today? <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons for it too because my high school friends <laughs> will want to hang around me today. But, uh, but, but the reality of it is None. Okay, how many, how many college fraternity brothers and sorority sisters do you all hang out with today? None. Why? They were so much fun to be with when you were with them and it was so right to do everything that they told you to do so you could be accepted by them. Well, where are they now? In jail. In jail. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably got off on one of those legal technicalities. Those little loopholes in the law. I know how that works. What's the fourth thing that gets the world excited? How about this? Pleasure. Now, here's, it used to be, if it feels good, do it. Now, what is it? If it feels good, do it. But just wear a condom. Right? 
Just do it safely. It's not a problem that it feels good. The problem is you need to do it safely. I am, my heart is broken. It really is. We had our, we had a, our Rams Bible study Thursday night, and, and we had 20-some guys show up. And I'll tell you what, there, there wasn't a guy in that room whose heart wasn't broken. My heart is broken. My heart's broken for him, but more importantly, my heart is broken for a generation of kids who look up to him as a role model and as an idol. And my heart's even more broken because the message that he's teaching is conforming to the world and has nothing to do with God's standards. And I think we need to understand that because we're going to have a lot of opportunities to talk to a lot of people about what's being said. I had a guy walk into my office on Friday. Guy is a multi, multi millionaire. And you know it's wonderful. It's never impressed me in the least. It's given me a nice place to stay at in the desert on occasions. <laughs> but the fact that he was smart in business doesn't mean he's smart in life. And they're walking in saying, Man, isn't it a tragedy about Magic Johnson? I said, Well, what's what's the message that you get through all of it? And the guy that was with him said, man, you know, the message is clear. You just need to practice safe sex. <laughs> and it is clear. That's the clear message that's coming out, right? So what I asked him was this. Can you just tell me for a minute? Because I must have missed it. But what is safe sex? Can you define it? I've heard it like nine million times now. I've read it in the paper a hundred million times. I've seen newscaster after newscaster talking about it, and I keep hearing it's safe sex. Now, I'll just ask the simple thing. What is it? Because I'm not real bright. I need like a list. You know, give me six things that it means, because I don't know. What do you, you know, wear raincoat? I mean, what, what does it mean? You know, <laughs> tell me what you got to do. You know, but, I mean, let's, let's just, just be practical for a second, because otherwise we walk out of here as dumb as we came in. And... Uh, Whatever. <laughs> well, what's safe sex? Huh? Turn the chandelier lower? Dim the lights? No. Take what? Well, after all, how are you going to get on it if you don't bring it down lower, right? Oh, yeah. We got some people down here going, Can you explain that, please? <laughs> I don't get it. Are you married? <laughs> you guys work it out on your own. But the point is this. What is it? Nobody knows what it is. So you know what I told him? I said, you know what? I believe that God designed sex to be within the confines of a heterosexual marriage. One man, one woman, for all of their life. You ain't getting any safer than that. And I said, you explain to me how a couple in one hotel room and a couple in another hotel room, both of them swinging on the chandelier. <laughs> one of them married, one of them not married. One of them just have one sex partner, and the other one has how many, who knows, trace it back, whatever. Why they're in a high-risk group, and this group over here, the married couple, aren't in any risk group at all. You'll never, connect, you'll, you'll never catch a venereal disease. 
and you will never get the HIV virus from sex. Isn't that amazing? What does that tell you? I say, I believe that God has ordained it that way, and as a result, God also makes it safe. And when he told Adam and he told Eve that they would be both naked and unashamed, that's exactly what he's referring to. Don't worry about anything. You just have at it. You want to jump on a chandelier? Whatever you want to do. <laughs> just go crazy. But you can have a great time. There's no fear in that relationship. And you know, he looked at me like I was the weirdest guy he's ever met. And he should know by now. And, and I'm just being consistent with him. And he, and he just kind of went, you know, I read somewhere, but even in nature, animals kind of mate for life. I said, well, you know, take it for what it's worth. That's safe sex. Barry Sanders is running back for the Detroit Lions. He was on Inside the NFL on HBO. He was asked about how he handles the temptation of all of the fleshly desires that are out there and available for men who are in prominent positions, who have fame, who have money, who have all these things that makes the world turn around. And Barry Sanders, it was a wonderful interview. You know what Barry Sanders said? They said, how do you handle it, Barry? And I've been there, man. I've been in a locker room. I've been in the hotels. I've been there. I've seen them. I see women come out of the woodwork with nothing on, man. I mean, virtually nothing on. Just there to say, I want to do it, and I want to do it with you because of who you are. I don't care anything else. That's all I want to do. And if I can use you as a meal ticket, I'll use you as a meal ticket. And if I can extort you, I'll extort you. Or whatever it is I'm going to do. But the lower looks real pretty. And they're all real fine looking women. And there's no question about that. But you know what Barry Sanders said how he deals with it? He said, I've made a commitment to my God that I will be celibate. And so I'm married. Guys on the inside of the NFL. Well, that's a little extreme, don't you think, Barry? I mean, you know, after all, isn't that a little extreme? You better believe it's extreme. And you know what else it is? It's radical. It's radical, but it's practical. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to have a radical change in direction, a change of thought, a change of practices, a change of action, a change of everything. And it happens by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more radical than that. In Him, man, everything that's old is old and gone, and everything that's new is new and is coming ahead, and we can look forward to it. There's nothing more radical than that. And the great message is this. Our God is a God of second chances. And He says, if you're screwing around, if you're doing something stupid, if you're falling into any one of these categories, then you just say, Lord, right now, I want to be forgiven for that. I am sorry. I agree with what you say. I'm sorry I got caught up in the hype of the world, but I need a transformed mind, and I want to turn to your word, and I want to turn to you, because this world is screwed up, and it's going down down the tubes quickly. And you know what I told him? I I told guys the Bible, I said, guess what? The message is this. We need to find a cure. We need to spend hundreds and millions and billions of dollars to find a cure so we don't have to change our behavior. That's what we need to do. We don't need to change our behavior because we like what we're doing because the world system says if it feels good, do it. Now we need to find a way to do it that we don't get hurt. And so God allowed men to come up with penicillin and penicillin was used to cure venereal diseases although penicillin was used on a much broader basis to cure other ails of humanity. And God allowed that to happen. But I wouldn't doubt for a moment that God does not allow mankind to ever come up with a cure for this disease and He will confuse the minds of medicine so that they can't for the purpose of saying, look, I've had enough of this nonsense and it's time that you start turning back to me and seeing what's true about this world. That you're living in a world that's messed up and going in the wrong direction. The way seems right, but its end is 
destruction. And I, I, I don't, you know, it's a tough thing to say. I pray that God doesn't allow us to find a cure because there's a lot of innocent people, quote unquote, who are affected by it, afflicted by it. But there are innocent people who are destroyed by sin every day. Every day. That's the consequences of sin. I don't want to see us come up with a cure so we can continue the same behavior patterns that are, that are, that are foreign to the things of God. I'd like to see Magic Johnson and pray that A.C. Green has a chance to talk to Magic and share the gospel with him. And he has in the past. And that's what we need to pray. That's what you want to pray. You want to pray about it? Pray about that. Pray that A.C. Green, that God will give him an audience with Magic so he can tell him, Magic, don't lead a generation of kids because Magic's got the greatest heart in the world. But he's as confused as anybody that doesn't know Christ. And there's a way that seems right to him right now that's wrong according to God. And we need to pray that God will bring someone into his life who will teach him the saving knowledge and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ so that the message that he preaches from this day on will, will be a message of abstinence, a message of celibacy, and a message of sex within marriage and nowhere else. That's what we need to pray. I kind of got off on a tangent there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15.33, look at this with me for a second. Because i got a lot of other good stuff here too. Oh well. 1 Corinthians 15.33. You know, it's interesting, when, when I came across this passage, there's only three passages in all of the Bible that have the same type of language that's used. Galatians 6, 7 does. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 does. And the chapter on chapter 1 that deals with temptation in the book of James does. And all of it kind of summarizes it this way. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I was in Atlanta a few weeks ago and I met with a friend and he had something interesting to say. And uh, we, we kind of like to challenge each other with these types of thoughts. And it's the only thing I remembered from our whole visit. But what he said was fascinating. He said this. He said a friend of his told him this. That what he'll be in ten years, ten years from now, what he will be as a man is based on the books that he reads today and the people that he associates with. So I guess you've got to kind of look back ten years and see what you're, and try to remember what you're reading, if anything, and uh, who you're hanging out with. But the point of it is, bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived about this, folks. Who you hang around with is what you are. You got kids? Let me tell you something. You stick your children in a world that teaches this with no instruction, no techniques on how to handle it, no strategy to overcome it, and without the Word of God to combat it. And don't be amazed if your kids get into immorality. Don't be amazed if your kids get into drugs and alcohol. Don't be amazed if your kids get in all kind of other trouble. Because there's a way that seems right. And the, and the world system is so strong and is so powerful that if, like it says here, don't kid yourself, whoever you hang around is what you're going to become. And that's why it's so important when you look back and I look back on my life and I see the people I hung around with, it's no wonder that I was just like they were. It's no wonder. And what I say is this, you better take a good hard look yourself at who you associate with. And then you better teach your kids and your grandkids 
to make wise choices in the friends that they in the friendships they cultivate, in the things that they do, in the people that they're with. Because you tell them the word of God says, "Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts more good morals." You're, growing up back east, slush, rain, mud, snow, all that kind of stuff. I've never seen a woman yet who went out in the slush and the mud and the rain and the snow with white gloves that hadn't handled some of that stuff, that that dirt didn't come off on those white gloves. I've never seen mud get glovey. Never. Never seen mud get glovey white. But I've seen white gloves get real dirty real fast. Word of God says, you better straighten up, folks, all of us. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We better wake up to what this world's object- objectives are. Money. Don't love money. But pursue righteousness, First Timothy 6 says. Pursue godliness. Do things that are right before God. Don't just want money for the sake of money. It also says this, that our reputation, our integrity, our esteem is to be more valued than any silver and gold. There is nothing more important to the man or woman of God to have a clean heart and testimony before the world. If it means, Lord, that I lost every material thing you ever blessed me with in order to maintain my integrity, then so be it. That's what I have to do. The Lord has given, Job said, and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'll trust Him and I'll count on Him to do whatever He wants to do for me in my future. But right now it's a hard decision, but I've got to do what's right before God. The object for God's people is not to make more money. The object for God's people is to do with what God gives them in a way that they would be called a good and faithful servant. If you go down through it, don't sell out for fame. Don't sell out for popularity. Because the people you're kissing up to and selling out to today don't have any impact on your eternity anyway. I will never answer to any of my friends that I sold out to in the past, but one day I'll stand before God and give an account for everything that I did. And I'm just glad that because of Jesus Christ that I'll never pay the price for sin. I will never have to give an account for sin in my life. And that's important to understand that. God forgives us for it. Third thing is power. Who cares about it? You want to influence people, then you be a servant. And the last thing is pleasure. If it feels good, you better check with the Word of God to see if it's okay. You better check with the Word of God to see if it's okay. It's as simple as it gets. Let me finish with this story. If the group's doing it, doesn't mean it's right. I'll guarantee you that. There's safety in numbers. We've heard that before. But I guess that must have started after Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I don't know when that saying got started, but it couldn't have started before that. One man writes this. He says, Once a spider built a beautiful web in an old house. He kept it clean and shiny so that flies would patronize it or patronize it. The minute he got a, quote, customer, he'd clean up on him so the other flies would not get suspicious. Then one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by the clean spider web. Old man spider called out and said, come on and sit down. But the fairly intelligent fly said, no, sir, I don't see other flies in your house and I'm not going in there alone. But presently, he saw on the floor below a large crowd of flies dancing around on a brown piece of paper. He was delighted. He wasn't afraid if lots of flies were doing it, so he came in for a landing. Just before he landed, a bee zoomed by saying, Hey, don't land there, stupid. That's flypaper. Those bees are pretty bright, aren't they? But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, Don't be silly. Those flies are dancing. There's a big crowd there. Everybody's doing it. Look how much fun they're having. That many flies can't be wrong. So he went in for a landing, and he died as a result. 
Don't get caught up in the mentality that if everybody's doing it, it must be right. Why do you think so many people fall for those scams, you know, those pyramid schemes and stuff? Everybody's doing it. And the way they get credibility is by saying that, oh, so-and-so is doing it. Well, that's a shame because I thought so-and-so was smarter than that. <laughs> but you see how it works? We get caught up in the group mentality and the word of God is clear. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect, meaning that's which will cause you to grow up in your faith. That's what, which will mature you in your walk with Christ. That's the message. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come together here today, we just pray, and I pray selfishly right now, that uh, someone like A.C. Green, someone that knows magic personally, that loves you and knows your word, that knows what your standards are and won't compromise because of the man, but will tell the truth about the word of God. We just pray collectively that such a person, whether it's A.C. or whomever that you rise up to do that, will share the truth, Number one, the truth of your love and your forgiveness. The truth of the knowledge that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is a guaranteed ticket to an eternity with God. God, may He come to know you. May He accept your Son, Jesus Christ, and His provisions on the cross for sin. May magic turn to you. God, and as He does, may you clarify, clarify in his mind the truth of your word so that the message that he preaches will be a message of truth and of salvation. God, help each of us in our daily walk with you to not compromise and to not back down on the certainty of your word, that we need to ha handle your word accurately, that as we're approached by a world's mentality that says we need to practice things that are contrary to your word, that you would give us the boldness to be able to say with confidence that your ways are right. Not to shrink in timidity or cowardice, but to stand boldly. You tell us that you have not given us a power of timidity or fear, but that of courage and of boldness. God, I can't help thinking what the Apostle Paul said when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. Lord, help each of us to be bold as we walk with you. May each of us turn to your word and understand through a renewed mind what your goals and purpose and plans are for your people and not to do what the crowd is doing. God, we just thank you for that. And we just thank you for the, the relevant words that we find in Scripture that we can stand firm when not numbered. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.